0: And a good Saturday morning to you. Welcome to another wine chat with our friend Jack Farrell from Haskell's. Good morning, Jack. Hiya, Denny. How are you today? Well, I'm a lot of smiles because I'm looking at that forecast. And I I totally believe by Monday we'll see some CCO landers in shorts. (laughs) I believe. I won't be surprised. I think so. I wouldn't wear a hearty lot, believe me, when it comes to exercise and being out of doors. It's so true. Well, what can we talk about today? You know, today I thought I'd do an educational thing, and we'd talk about cork and a little bit about cor- screw caps. Right. You know, cork is a very interesting product. It's a naturally renewable resource, and it comes from cork trees uh, that are only grown uh, primarily in Portugal, a few in Spain, and then a, a, several in North Africa. There's a few plantings in Italy and France as well, but actually the bulk of it, 65 percent of uh, the corks uh, that are used in wine, come from Portugal, Uh, and the rest come are lesser and come from Spain. And Portugal also produces the best cork that's available. Uh, You know, it's very interesting. Uh, to see cork trees being harvested, they cut the bark off the tree. The tree has to be at least 20 to 25 years old before they can take the bark off. And that first bark uh, has to be used for ingredients 20 to 25 years old before they can take the bark off. And that first bark uh, has to be used for ingredients and composites and everything else because the first harvest isn't very good. Then they can take another harvest uh, about nine years later, and every nine years, and the oak tree's lives are from two to 300 years. So that's a lot of harvest out of a tree, even though it's only every nine years. And some trees are even uh, more lengthy because it can take sometimes up to 13, 14 years for the cork to get to a thickness that's acceptable, for whatever the project is, but it's a very interesting procedure. Uh, the specialists that remove the cork, they're known as extractors, and they take an incision in the tree, and then they take kind of a giant crowbar and pry that cork off of the tree, and then they have to lay the tree uh, or that bark uh, to the side, and it stays out in the open for, oh, sometimes as much as uh, a year, and then they take the cork in and process it into all the different uses that uh, cork is used for. And cork has, you know, a noble history. Uh, it's been used for thousands of years, primarily as a flotation device uh, in the early, uh, because, you know, wine being uh, sealed with cork is a relatively new thing. It only started in the early 1700s. Uh, prior to that, all the wine was shipped in barrels. And this is surprising. While uh, the barrels had cork stoppers in them, and they didn't get around, and, and that goes back to medieval times. Uh, wine actually, in ancient Roman times, ancient Greece time was stored in amphora, which are big clay uh, p- pots, and they have a point on the bottom, and that's how they were shipped, too, uh, in this point, so they wouldn't juggle around. And they sealed the wine on top by putting uh, a layer of olive oil on top of the wine. So the wine uh, would be, believe it or not, that is amphora, which is the same thing as uh, sort of a clay flower pot. They're made on the same sort of material. A little air gets through there. So they had aged wine. In ancient Rome and ancient Greece, etc., but uh, because of the amphora breathed. But then come the uh, Middle Ages and that, and that disappeared, and all the wine had to be drunk the year it was made. Or, you know, the natural enemy of wine is light and air, and that's why wine's kind of kept in a cellar for the darkness. And air, one of the problems with air is even in a barrel wine tends to evaporate and you have to be constantly either topping up the barrel or doing something or that wine will go bad. And, you know, bad wine is vinegar. In fact, uh, vinegar, the word itself is from vin and agar, two Latin words, vin for wine, agar for sour. So vinegar is sour wine. And these amphora, were a wonderful thing, but like I say, they were lost in the Middle Ages. They went to barrel. And then about the mid-1700s, glass finally became inexpensive enough where very, very good wine would be shipped in bottles and corked. And it really was the Champagne area that pioneered that in the early 1700s. In fact, if you look at a Champagne cork, it's very interesting. The next time you pop Uh, bottle of champagne. Take a look at the cork. You'll see it's three layers of cork, and they all go different ways. And that, that cork, when it went into the champagne bottle, was a perfect cylinder. And when it pops out, it looks like a mushroom. And that's because the pressure of putting that in there And keeping it in there with the wire seal on the top has converted it into a mushroom shape from the cylinder that went in there. But it was one of the first uses of composite cork. In other words, the little bits and pieces of cork they made into composite and made these special cylinders for champagne. However, uh, the uh, corks we know that go into wine are a relatively New innovations, uh, by new I mean a couple hundred years old, uh, where wines began to be shipped. They even used to ship the really good wines from Bordeaux. Their major market was London, which was, you know, kind of the most sophisticated city in the world at that time, and they would send it in barrels. And they didn't start shipping in bottles until the 1900s because they would let them bottle it. It was cheaper to ship the barrel to England and have them bottle it there. And then they discovered about bottle fraud. In other words, they were ordering one kind of wine, labeling it differently, and and selling it. And the British uh, wine merchants were pretty good at that. And the French decided, well, we're going to brand our cork. So all the Bordeaux wines, if you look at them even today, you'll see the name of the property and the year on the cork. In fact, you see that? Today, on all good wines, in fact, that's why we give a waiter, when you go into the restaurant, you may wonder why does he give you the cork to smell? Actually, the wine would have to be pretty horrible for you to be able to detect how bad it is from smelling the cork. Uh, What you really are looking for when he hands you that cork is the authenticity of the wine. Is the wine on the cork? Impressed on the cork, the name and the vintage, the same as you've gotten, and that's why they give you the cork. But it's kind of romantic, and people like it. And that's therein comes the problem with screw caps. Uh, what uh, guarantee do you have that that's authentic? Because it's a screw cap. But uh, screw caps are uh, stelvin sealers, and stelvin is like Kleenex. So when you talk about tissue, a lot of people inter- use. Tissue or Kleenex doesn't make any difference. The same thing with screw cap or Stelvin stopper. Uh, Stelvin was the name of an inventor in France who invented that screw cap that kind of looks like it has a foil covering on it, but it unscrews off the top. And what really gave screw caps a big boost was a, a cork sickness that wines got. In fact, every now and then you'll still get a wine that's corked, although they've solved that problem tremendously. But about 25, 30 years ago, I'm going to guess as much as 5 or 6% of the wine in the world was corked. And people would drink it without even knowing that. And uh, they'd just think their taste was off for the day or the wine just was their mood or something. And they'd drink the wine anyway. Uh, I mean, it really wasn't bad, but it it has an unpleasant aroma. In fact, a corked aroma, uh, the next time you are having a discussion on wine, smells a little bit like damp cardboard or a moldy basement. Uh, And When you get that smell in a wine, that wet cardboard smell, that wine is usually corked. Well, anyhow, corked wine became a huge, huge problem and actually was solved in Australia, even though Stelvin was French. An Australian winemaker in the early uh, 80s went to Uh, France, and saw this big company, and asked Stelvin, who was the inventor, to create this cork, and he did, and uh, it was for uh, uh, Australian wines. and You know, Australian wines today, about 90% of them are Stelvin-sealed, and of course the pioneer in that was New Zealand. Where almost 100 percent of the wines in New Zealand are bottled today in screw caps, and in fact, I had a funny story once when I was in New Zealand once, and I was visiting Kim Crawford, and Kim is a man, incidentally. And uh, we were sitting at his arbor at a table, uh, having a wonderful conversation, <coughs> tasting the current vintage. He opened a bottle of wine, and it was tinned. In other words, you could taste the metal. It smells like a tin can. And that's because of the little cork on top of the Stelvin sealer. On the inside, if you look on a screw cap, there's kind of a cork a mat that fits inside the top of that. And that's what holds the wine uh, away from the metal in the screw cap. And it, somehow these the wine got exposed to that, and it was tinned, and we all laughed about it because he had never tasted a tin wine, and neither had any of us. Uh, but it was very, very clearly uh, a taste that you would get out if you, like, smelled an open tin can. But anyhow, I digress for a moment. Uh, We've had screw caps for a long time. Back in the 50s, they had big jug wines that had screw caps on them, etc. But Stelvin put this into an art, and they really designed this screw top just for wines. And it works very, very well. The only problem with it, and once when I had a winery in Italy, we decided to do an experiment with cork and sealing uh, the wine another way. And we opened it five or six years later, I guess it was, and tasted the two wine. The wine that had a natural cork in it had aged a little bit and was maturing beautifully. The un- uh, the one that had the screwed cap on it, or the Stelvin closing, actually tasted like the day it was bottled. It hadn't changed one bit. And that's fine when you're talking about lesser wines and wines that aren't outrageously expensive. When you talk about expensive wine, they want that little bit of aging in it. So, you know, cork is much more desirable. Plus, of course, it's romantic. You know, the sound of a cork popping is part of the joy of enjoying a glass of wine. So uh, I think there's a great place for both. As I said, all the New Zealand wines today are Stelvin sealed And about 90% of the ones from Australia are, and whether they're leading the world or what, I'm not sure, but that says a lot. I think that wines that are, say, $30 and under screw cap is fine. When you get to more expensive wine, I think you want that age. And if you're having an old Barolo or an old Bordeaux or, or a Burgundy that was 15 or years old or so, you really want that little bit of air that seeps, actually air seeps through the cork. Not very much. It's a little like the Romans with those amphora jars I mentioned earlier, where enough air goes through that clay in the amphora. Actually, believe it or not, a little air can get through that cork, and that helps the wine mature and develop, and you get all these wonderful nuances that come from a wine uh, being sealed with a cork stopper. So, well, I think there's room for both of them. I think cork has learned uh, the, uh, to compete with Stelvin, and we aren't seeing as much cork wine in the world. And both of them have a definite place. And, you know, let's face it, it's pretty easy um, uh, to open a Stelvin top as opposed to pulling a cork, especially some of the corks that are made of composite materials. They're made of like plastic material. Some of those artificial corks are damn near impossible to get out of a wine bottle. They're in there so tight. So a real cork is the preferred sealant uh, for wine, in my opinion. and. A Stelvin topping, they have their place. I mean, if you're off on a picnic or something, at least you don't have the worry of opening the wine without a corkscrew uh, when you have a screw cap wine. And I think the stigma has long since gone about screw cap wines. There was a a stigma for many, many years. In fact, one of the first ones, this is kind of an interesting story, the current governor of California was involved when he was in San Francisco in a winery called Plump Jack. And Plump Jack put the first $100 Cabernet in a screw cap. And, of course, it didn't sell. But people weren't going to pay $100 for a top with a screw. I mean, they sold a little of it, but, you know, not enough. They had to go back and rebottle it all with corks in it, et In fact, when I was watching the news, I said to my wife, and this is maybe a year and a half ago, uh that Covener looked so familiar it took me about 2 weeks to put him and plumpjack together but he was one of the owners of plumpjack and they were real pioneers with expensive wines uh being sealed with a stelvin topper so there's space for both of them so if nothing else today you learned about cork coming from being peeled from oak trees mainly in portugal and you learned that uh, screw cap wines aren't really a demeaning thing. There's some bloody good wine in the world, uh, very good. In fact, some super wines that have stelvin sealers or a screw cap. So I think there's a place for both, and the argument is simply which do you prefer. Yes, and there is a place to find any kind of wine you want. To, you want to test, and I urge you to do so. Get to Haskell's. Thank you. Denny, That's true. The folks at Haskell's are called the wine people, and there's a good reason for that. For 87 years, we have been supplying the Twin Cities with fine wines and spirits, and that's a long, long time, and over that time, we certainly have picked up a thing or two that sets us apart. And I urge you to stop in the Haskells, tell them what you're preparing. They'll pick a wine that will go perfectly with whatever you're doing. And you know what? They'll pick a wine that won't break the bank. There's a Haskells near you where you can save on wine. Haskells in Bloomington. There's a Haskells in Excelsior. In Fairbowl, right off of 35, our Maple Grove Supercellar is worth the trip up there. 22,000 square feet of fine wines. Our downtown Minneapolis store has free parking on Saturday and Sunday. Minnetonka at Ridgedale, there's a Haskells in Plymouth.